Last week on Licensed to Parent, we introduced the concept of dad being the hero of the house. Not one who wears a cape and fights crime necessarily, but a hero who, even in the face of danger, combats adversity with ingenuity, bravery, or strength, often sacrificing his own personal concerns for a greater good, that of raising his kids, loving his wife, and leading his family to a relationship with Christ. Today's program is part two of a conversation with Dr. Meg Meeker, author of the book, Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. So now we continue that conversation about being the father heroes our families want and need on today's Licensed to Parent. Well, hi and welcome back. Thanks for carving out some time for us again today. And by the way, if you missed last week's program, you'll find it on our website at licensedtoparent.org. Our host on the program is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program helping teens in crisis and their families. I'm Rich Rosel, and uh, Trace, we know before we recorded last week, we knew um, that that edition of the program was not going to be enough, that we had more than enough oh, material yeah. with uh, Dr. Meg to cover at least two weeks. So uh, we're back this week, and you don't mind that a bit, do you? I don't mind that a bit, and I'm so uh, grateful that Meg would uh, uh, stick around to help us do this again because there is so much uh, to say, and, and, and she's wonderful at saying it. So, Meg, thank you for coming back. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Why is it that when we say that men, generally speaking, are, are often better equipped than women to bring security, strength, and logic to their homes, that it seems to stir up a hornet's nest so often today? Well, I think that women have been trained to be very, very competitive with men, not complementary. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I saw this happen as, as a woman in all women's college in the 1970s. I remember the the mantra, you know, whatever men do, we can do better, and sort of this empowerment of women so that whenever there's a sense that, you know, men do one thing, fathers do one thing, you know, women are trained and don't even realize that they were trained to say, okay, well, we can do that better. So there's this competition among men and women that is doesn't work well when you're parenting or you're trying to run a home and a family. You know, I recently saw uh, an episode of uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, and he had a, a therapist on there uh, who was advocating for the legitimacy of gender fluidity to basically blur yeah. the lines between uh, men and, and women. And, and uh, the whole se- uh, segment was about uh, a parent didn't sign on the birth certificate whether this child was actually a boy or a girl. They were going to let this child uh, become what the child wanted to become, regardless of the chromosomes or the obvious uh, genitalia. What do you tell a parent who says, but all the professionals say, what do you tell them? Well, first of all, I say that they are in the minority. And as you know, children who deal with true, deep inner psychic conflict about their gender are extremely rare. You know, the people who... You know, as right. Bruce Jenner said when he was very, very, very young, felt like he uh, was was a girl living in a boy's body who feel that at an early time uh, in their life and it, and it just persists and persists. People like that, children like that are very, very rare, m- much more rare than those who, um, 
you know, feel homosexual tendencies when they're very young. So I try to tell them, you know, it's sort of a monkey see, monkey do. A lot of kids are jumping on the bandwagon and saying, well, I really want to be a girl, but I'm a boy. I really want to be a boy, but I'm a girl. And consequently, their parents sort of say, well, if this is really, uh, you know, more popular than I think, then maybe I want to make sure that I don't oppress my child or lock my child in. But if you even just help parents through the sheer logic of it, a lot of parents, I find, are open to understanding that, that there is no logic. For instance, mm-hmm. to say that gender fluidity is a good thing is to say that identity and clarity and specificity are a bad thing. So we're going to move away from something that has an identity to non-identity. So I'm going to move away from being a he or she to an it. And I literally have had kids in my office referring to themselves as it. And I say, no, 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 no. It is bad. Nothingness is bad. When you don't, when you're not willing to believe and state claim for something that's clear, femininity or masculinity, and you move away from it, you're left with nothing. And then I say to parents, who wants their child to be a nothing? Who wants to have their child be asexual or genderless? I said, is that a good thing? And most reasonable people who can think logically understand that's not good. Mm-hmm. It, and, 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 and the whole argument implodes on itself, too, because if you say the whole reason you want to be transgender is because you are male and want to be female, therefore leaving maleness and going to be female is good. Um, and, and yet, so you're saying the other gender is a good thing, but at the same time, you're also trying to say, but being neither is good also, you can't have it both ways. Mm. So do, do you see what I'm saying? So being nothing and being gender prescribed can't be good at the same time. Yeah. This, by the way, is uh, is a good transition back to the main topic of the program, which we were talking about dads being heroes. But uh, the the whole confusion over gender roles has led to a problem that a lot of dads are facing right now. There are many dads who are afraid to hug or, for that matter, even spend much time with their teenage daughters, for example. There may be any number of reasons um, and and I think part of that is dads are no longer sure what their role is with the opposite gender child. Um, to, talk about that for a moment. How can dads appropriately, how should dads appropriately engage with their teenage daughters? Well, first of all, they need to realize, fathers need to realize physical affection from their father is really a need that girls had it, mm. it have it's not just a, a nice thing to do mm-hmm. we know that because we know that the reason many teenage girls are getting pregnant or being sexually active with boys isn't so much for the sexual experience as the affection the um the admiration um uh the attention of a male and it, it's very so it's very important to, for dads to understand that this is something their daughters need, and if they don't get it from dad, right. and they don't get the acceptance, um, then they're going to find it somewhere, and they're going to find it in a place that's 
um, nowhere near as healthy as from their fathers. Yeah. So this is something that fathers need to reconcile and say, okay, as much as my daughter is communicating to me, I'm creepy, she doesn't want me, she doesn't want to be near me, um, I need to find a way to show appropriate, healthy physical touch and affection to my daughter. And one of the best ways to do that is first, you know, don't be affectionate with your daughter in public if she it, it seems like she doesn't like it. Yeah, don't provoke you know, her to Do anger. it in the privacy of your home. Touch the top of her head. Touch her shoulders. Give her an embrace. Um, never allow it to appear or feel any, sexual in any way. Um, and, and so it's just important that dads sort of pursue their daughters in a respectful and affectionate way. Even though it may feel uncomfortable for them, they need to do it because girls will find it if dads don't give it to them. Because mm-hmm. any attention in their eyes is better than no attention. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And any bad behavior is a cry for attention. Don't you see? Don't you see? Do you care? Do you care? Do you care? Mm-hmm. You know, will you hug me? Right. Um, do you think I'm ugly too? And I often tell fathers, don't take their daughter's behavior uh, personally, because a lot of times, uh, you know, dad will come down to give his daughter a hug, and she's 13, and she'll sort of stiffen her body and snarl and roll her eyes, and dad will go, okay, you don't like me? Okay, okay, I get it. I'll yeah. stay away. Yeah. And really, that behavior has nothing to do with dad, but everything to do with that girl. That's good. And what she's saying is, I don't like my body. I don't like myself. Do you? And dad has to go, okay, you can act that way, but you know what? You're still the apple of my eye. And so he doesn't back off. Or maybe she, maybe dad messed up somehow, you know, with time, attention, and affection. Who knows? I mean, sometimes dads can mess up beyond imagination with their kids. Uh, Can you you talk about, uh, though, the, the resiliency of kids and how even when dads mess up, kids still want their dads in the equation? You know, I, and I often tell dads, you're never going to find more forgiving people in your life than your kids, well, particularly your daughters, me. because they're connected to you by a need-based love. You know, they need you to love them. They need you to, to be in their life. You don't need them, and you don't need them to love you, and you don't need to love them. But kids do, and so they want so much to have your attention and your affirmation um, that they will forgive you. And so you really just need to be honest when you mess up and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Will you forgive me for yelling? Will you forgive me for saying that to you? It was a horrible thing to say. I don't know why I do it. Sometimes I'm out of my mind. And, and kids will forgive you much more quickly than other people, again, because they need you and other people don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Meg... What about the big mess-ups? And, you know, for example, where sexual abuse may have occurred or, or where, you know, dad might be in prison, uh, maybe for that sexual abuse. Yes. Can a dad's relationship with his family, and especially with his kids, uh, recover after something like that? Uh, can he ever regain hero status? What, what's he need to do? Well, I think that, you know, incest is probably the toughest thing to come to reconcile for because on so many levels there's deep pain and um you know and 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 they've broken trust and there's been a huge offense um but i i do believe that you know with god all things are possible but the key to reconciliation after there have been um, deep offenses perpetrated against a child by a father 
there has to be a true sense of recognizing the offense um, and how cruel it was and how hurtful it was to the other person and against God. So there has to be an acceptance of their humanity. You know, I am that bad of a sinner. I, I, I really messed up that much. Okay. The father has to be able to say, I committed offense that was so grievous that it hurt my child on all these different levels, and it hurt God. You can't just sort of give a passing nod to the offense and go, okay, well, I'm sorry. You know, I just, I screamed at you for 18 years, and I called you horrible names for 18 years. Get over it. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Don't you get it? Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't work. It has to be a true sense of, um, of you know, how deep the offense was, and and um, and and in humility, the father has to understand. You know, woe to me! I am a a sinner with unclean lips, and I've done this to my child. And to say, God, uh, you know, on my knees before you, I need your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And will you help me heal this relationship with my child? Mm-hmm. And then go to the child and say, on my knees, I ask for your forgiveness because I have deeply offended you, and I am so terribly sorry. I will do what it takes over the next umpteen years Mm -hmm. to earn back your trust or to help reconcile a relationship with you. And I think that when kids see a father that humble and that contrite, and there really needs to be that amount of contrition, which I think is very, very hard for a lot of fathers to do because the the wounds can go so deep. Uh, It's hard to see them. It's hard to see our own darkness. But when a father does come to a child like that, that's where um, the hope begins that there can be a reconciliation. But if a father isn't really willing to do that, and he isn't willing to see himself and the darkness in himself, like we all should be willing to see with Christ's help as Christians, because we all stand before Christ as that dark, and we all need that deep cleansing, um, that's the only way there's a hope for reconciliation with a child on the part of a father. And I think parents need to know, you know, the healing, really there's three steps to make it easier. It's confession. You got to humble yourself to the point of confession, repent, turn from that wicked way, and then deal Uh with the forgiveness. And sometimes that forgiveness has to be with the self. I mean, you, you have to forgive yourself as well. Um, so, and then there's the consequences that come along uh, with this. Uh, when something like that happens, a, a, an incestuous type of thing, there may be some boundaries that have to be in place for a very, very long time. Uh, actions yeah. do have consequences. Yeah. Uh, you know, not yeah. being alone with a particular child, uh, it's just crazy. But yeah. yeah. We're talking today on Licensed to Parent with Dr. Meg Meeker. We're talking about her book, Hero being the strong father your children need. It's a great read. It's available on Amazon.com. You can find out more about Dr. Meg on her website, Meg Meeker, spelled M-E-E-K-E-R, MegMeekerMD.com. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more on Licensed to Parent. The world of digital technology is always changing, and it's changing you if you're comfortable with technology or not. Your kids may take technology almost completely for granted and rarely notice its effects. 
On the other hand, you may adapt to technology more slowly, but are affected by the digital invasion just as much as your kids. In the book, The Digital Invasion, How Technology is Shaping You and Your Relationships, authors Dr. Archibald Hart and Sylvia Hart-Fried uncover the ways digital technology is changing us from within, physically, mentally, and especially spiritually, and offers therapeutic and biblical strategies to become good stewards of our digital lives. The Digital Invasion also includes 10 pages featuring Trace Embry of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Find The Digital Invasion in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherd's Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and licensed parents to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. Welcome back. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. And today on the program, we're talking with Dr. Meg Meeker, author of the book, Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. And again, you can find that book on Amazon.com. Meg, we were, well, we've been talking about the roles of dads and how dads, especially in today's culture where there's a lot going against them as far as being a hero figure in their kids' eyes. One of the things that dads have to do, though, quite often is step up and uh, take on the role of disciplinarian or, you know, basically speak truth to their kids, call them on the carpet for something. I know in years gone by, shame was a word that was often in the parenting vocabulary. Son, you should be ashamed of yourself for doing this. How does that fit in today? How can we as dads um, establish and maintain the role of leader in our kids' eyes, the role of father, the role of hero, while still disciplining them? And and even, let's say, using shame. Is shame something that is still appropriate to be to be brought up before our kids? How, how does that all yeah. balance out? Well, I think that, you know, whenever a father... Um, points out to a child a mistake, a legitimate mistake, um, that the, the child needs to stop he, or a, um, you know, a problem the child's having or behavior that he has that the dad need, knows needs to stop. You know, he, needs, he has an obligation to point that out to a child and say, you know, son or daughter, speaking that way, behaving that way in our home is not acceptable. And that when he does that, to a child, the child will automatically feel shame. You know, shame is, people are often quick to feel shame, particularly if they have respect and love for the father. And if they feel that 
they love and respect the father and the father points out something they're doing poorly, they will feel shame, and that's very appropriate. I think where kids don't respect a father and a father has not behaved properly in, in, the, in the home and he berates the kids for something, um, they can feel a shame that's, uh, that's misplaced mm-hmm. um, that really comes from the father's disapproval rather from the fact that they uh, did something that was, that was wrong. It was, it was bad human behavior. Um, that's not necessarily healthy. But when, it, when, it, when a father appropriately, appropriately points out to a child, you know what, son, I heard you speaking to your mother that way. I heard you yelling at your mom. You're never allowed to do that in, in our home ever again. That son, son should feel shame, and that's appropriate. And then he should go on and teach the son then, okay, here's how you don't do this again because I'm not going to allow you to do it again because this is my wife that you're yelling at and that's not acceptable. Then to say, teach the child how to repent from doing that. You know, I need you to go and tell your mom you're sorry and ask for her forgiveness for talking that way and working through that. So there's a very healthy place where shame fits in. But the key is the shame really should come from the offense the child committed against another person, not because the, sh- the dad was sort of wantonly shaming him because he was a- the dad was in a bad mood that day. And it can be a great teaching tool then to teach a child, this is stepping outside of the, the bounds of the behaviors that we expect and want for you, mm-hmm. um, and here's how you repent of those, forgive yourself and ask for forgiveness, and then allow Christ to cleanse you and move forward. Because Christ teaches us a tremendous amount of, about shame as his children. Yeah, Paul did it we too. We are allowed to feel shame, and when we feel shame, it's because we step out of the bounds of where he's told us to be. So that feeling of shame is very appropriate, but we use that as a tool then to come back in line, to come back to him. We don't sit in the shame. We ask for forgiveness. He cleanses us and we move forward. So it definitely has a a role, a good teaching, a role to play in a child's life. Well, Meg, you know, either one of us are philosophers, I guess, or maybe we are, but uh, in a postmodern relativistic world, Really, there is no shame. Uh, exactly. Chuck Colson did a did a study. He asked twenty five uh, uh, people aged eighteen to twenty five, uh, and or maybe it was fifty people. He asked. I forget the exact numbers. But the bottom line is, he asked them what the number one issue, um, your, your number one moral sin that you committed in the last five years, and uh, what do you think the number one moral sin for for people eighteen to twenty five years old was in the last five years? Here was their answer. They didn't have one. Right. Well, in a postmodern relativistic society where moral absolutes are not really in the equation, right. you can pretty much yeah. do anything and not be ashamed. That's how I got like Bruce Jenner or some of these, these people do what they do, say what they say with no shame. And that's right. the real shame. But yeah. I, I, I've got a quick question here i got to ask you about. Dads like ice hockey. Junior likes figure skating. Uh, how does an athletic dad best become a hero to his artistic son, uh, and vice versa, or more more broadly, uh, how can dad become a hero to the child whose likes and personality are very different from his own? Well, to understand that his love for him and approval of him isn't on the stuff that he does, but who he is as a person. So I think that dad sort of moves away from, well, come on, you can't figure skate, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do ice hockey, 
rather than to talk about what the kid does, talk about the character qualities in the child. Well, you know, I know you're a really disciplined person. I know you're a really hard worker, and I know you love to um, work hard. What's an area where you could exercise uh, a, a strong work ethic, where you could show tenacity, where you, should, where you could, um, you know, exercise patience or grow in your patience? And, you know, if figure skating is a place to do that, okay. So, but, but what you always do is you bring the character of the child to the forefront, mm-hmm. not the performance. And, and, and you do that in your own mind as well. And I think that where dads get tripped up is where ice hockey becomes and what that represents becomes more important to them than developing strong character in their child. And so I, I think that's focusing on the child's character is the best way for dad to shift his perspective and also to help grow a strong child around character growth rather than performance, mm-hmm. growth of performance. It goes back to being human beings rather than human doings. Exactly. At Shepherd's Hill Academy, when I pass by the kids or, 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 or stop by to chat with them uh, on campus, uh, I often tell the kids I love them, uh, both mm-hmm. boys and girls, uh, and I, or I'm teaching chapel. Uh, just whenever I'm with them, I'll tell them that. And, and I always get a great big smile and, and a big, I love you too, back uh, from both boys and the girls. Or if I'm driving by my golf cart at, or my four-wheeler at Mach 3, as I go by, I'll yell it, and they'll yell it back at me, and they'll, they'll, they'll smile. I think people think I'm embellishing things when I tell them this, but I'm not. Uh, c- can you talk about the importance of dads simply telling their kids, I love you, on a regular basis? Oh, everybody needs to hear that. And if those listening to this broadcast as adults know how good it feels when friends or loved ones tell them that, you know, magnify that five or tenfold, and that's how a child feels, particularly a child who never hears that. You know, and many kids don't hear I love you in a sincere way from any one of of significance in their lives. So that's why they seek so much attention and approval from friends, even if it's a like on Facebook. But, you know, communicating that you really love them, um, you know, it makes them feel loved. And it's not corny and it's not sappy or silly. Mm -hmm. It's critically important for both girls and boys to have you know, uh, father verbalize that to them. We're going to have to bring this conversation in for a landing here and put a close on today's program because our time is up, unfortunately. But Meg, thanks so much for joining us not once, but uh, two times in a row and for sharing your book, Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need uh, with our audience today. We appreciate you being with us. For enduring us. Well, you bet. (laughs) It's been my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Thanks again. Our pleasure, too. And once again, you can find Meg's book on Amazon.com, and you can uh, connect with her on her website, MegMeekerMD.com. That's Meg Meeker, spelled M-E-E-K-E-R, MegMeekerMD.com. And this is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. And again, we produce this program to share some of the hard lessons that come from working with troubled teens day after day in the hopes that your family may avoid some of the heartache and avoid the need for a residential program for your child. As always, though, if you can help our work financially, and we hope you will, please click the Donate button at the top of the page at LicensedToParent.org. 
And in doing so, you can become one of our ministry partners. Your gift can help the work we do at Shepherd's Hill. It can provide scholarship aid to families who need residential care but can't afford it. And it can help us keep this program on the air. And a donation in any amount would certainly be a blessing. Just click the donate button when you visit licensedtoparent.org and thank you in advance. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fasina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.